Tired of fighting those grimy old stains? Working yourself to the bone, but it's just no use? Are you looking for something better than what you've found so far? You've tried everything else, but now is the time to come clean. Oh yeah! I love that. I'm going to miss that. This is the last week. Hey, uh, today my talk is going to be much shorter than usual because it's just been a really special service. And, and the whole point of today's talk and, and the service is to help us just drill down and really understand very clearly how to be sure that you're going to heaven. We're in a series called Come Clean. And uh, we started with a verse in the book of Isaiah chapter 1 where God says, come now, let's settle this. Though your sins be scarlet or like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And that is the whole point of Come Clean. We want you to be sure at New Spring, if this is your only time to be with us or if you're here every weekend, we want you to be sure that you have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. The issue is that having a relationship with Jesus is so simple and so it's a gift, so it's free. But the challenge is our human thinking draws us away from reality and from truth. And we can get a whole lot of stuff. We can get a lot of garbage in our heads, especially if you've grown up in religion. Or maybe even if you just picked up stuff in the culture, we can get a lot of garbage that, that draws us away from the simple truth of God's Word. So what I've wanted to do in this series is just take us right back to the Bible, especially to a particular book of the Bible called the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. Acts is the story of the church. And in Acts three chapters. We have three succeeding stories of three individuals who settled this issue eternally with God and became children of God and then took the step of believer's baptism, not in order to have that relationship, but because that relationship had come, come into existence. So in Acts chapter 8, we started our, our series with the story of an Ethiopian. We don't know his name. We know he was a powerful guy. He was the secretary of treasury to the queen and rich, powerful, and a seeker. He wanted to know how to have a relationship with God, but he couldn't find it where he was, decided perhaps he should go to Jerusalem, went to Jerusalem, went to a worship service, bought a Bible, but was still fuzzy on what it meant to have a relationship with God. And God loved him so much and was so excited about this guy, this, this African, who, who had a desire to know God, that God actually sent a great leader to talk to him and to show him how to have a relationship with God. Last week, it was a different nationality. It was a Jewish person. It was a religious guy. His name was Saul. We didn't like him very much when we first saw him because he was mean. Religion had made him mean. He thought he was keeping all the rules, and because he did, he was superior, and he wanted to wipe out anybody that didn't see things the way he saw them. And that's the way he started out. And God didn't just gently send somebody to him. God knocked him flat. And in that experience, God revealed to him who he was, and Saul accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, and God transformed him so much that God actually changed his name to Paul, and he became one of the most influential people in history. Today, however, we're going to Acts chapter 10, a different nationality again, because remember so far we've seen an African, a Jewish person, and now in Acts 10 we're going to have a Caucasian. This guy is a Roman. His name is Cornelius. Very unusual for a guy like Cornelius to be interested in God because he grew up, of course, in a pagan culture. He was one of the beautiful people in Rome. His family was well-connected. And as we're going to see in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, and if you want to pull out a Bible in front of you, you can. If you don't have a Bible, these will be up on the IMAX screens, these verses. But we're going to see in, in verse 1 that he had a lot of things going for him. And the reason why I start off my talk like this 
is in our culture today, we have an idea, and I don't know where this comes from. Maybe it's just we sort of hope it's this way. We have this idea that really all you have to do to have a relationship with God is just make some kind of effort. You know, if you're just sort of religious, that's probably okay. If you go to church every once in a while, then surely you're going to be all right. Or if you try to do nice things for people, if anything gets you in, that will get you in. Or the American way, if you give money to, the, to the church or to some kind of good cause, surely God wouldn't turn down good, good cold hard cash. So maybe that's what it takes to have a relationship with God. That is so far wrong. And you know, you and I can afford to be wrong about a lot of things in life, but this is one place where we can't afford to be wrong. In fact, you can screw just about everything up in your life and have a relationship with God, and you can make it. On the other hand, you can do just about everything else right and not have a relationship with God, and it's going to be eternally and cosmically tragic. And I don't want that to happen. So this, this service is just all about one thing. It's about us drilling down and focusing and really understanding what it takes to have a relationship with God. Not just a relationship where you can pray and God will hear your prayers, but the kind of relationship that when you come to the moment of death, you will, you will, you will face that moment with confidence because you will know that whatever happens and whenever God calls you home, you will know that the very first touch you will feel after you die is the hand of Jesus welcoming you there. Isn't that cool? Isn't that worth the next 15 minutes, us really understanding what it takes to have a relationship with God? Another reason, of course, is next weekend we're, we're going to celebrate Watermark. And I, I just was checking. I got the official number. We have like about 260 people who have already signed up to go public with their faith. And, and I want you to know, yeah, let's give God thanksgiving for that. I want you to be real clear on what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. And in case that's a step that you would like to make, I want you to know what, what you need to be prepared, how you need to be prepared spiritually to take that step yourself if you're contemplating. So with all that in mind, let's go to the book of Acts chapter 10 and let's read the story of Cornelius. Remember, we've seen a seeker in chapter 8. We've seen a religious guy in chapter 9. Now we're going to meet the nice guy next door who would mow your grass when you're on vacation. Because I think deep down inside, there is a sort of cultural... Um, opinion that people who are nice go to heaven. People who aren't nice, maybe they go somewhere else. But nice people go to heaven. That's the sort of thought that we have out there. I want to take you to Acts chapter 10 and show you something. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was captain of the Italian regiment. Let's just read the whole thing, and I'll go back and dissect this. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household, He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. I'm nominating him for heaven, aren't you? I like the guy. In fact, for some of us, whoo, he's kind of past where we are. I mean, he's a surprise. Cornelius is just this incredible surprise because most Roman army officers only have one idea if they've been assigned to Judea, and that is get that assignment over with as quick as possible and get back to Rome. Because Rome was where it was happening. Rome was where the sophistication was. It was where the money and the juice and the power and all that stuff was. Well, Cornelius was very well connected. We draw from his name that he was probably a member of a particular family that was in thick with the Caesar and a lot of the senators in Rome. He was one of the beautiful people, and he was a man of great power. And yet, we learned some extraordinary things about him. We learned that he was devout. Devout will be our way of saying that he was God-focused. He was God-conscious. He had grown up in a system where there were many gods. And really, if you have many gods, you have no god. But that's how the Romans were. They believed in many gods, and yet their whole 
culture was based on power, money, and sex. Sound familiar? That's very American, doesn't it? Power, money, and sex. That's, Rome was all about those things. If you study Roman history, you know that's true. And Cornelius had come from that kind of background. But when he came to Israel, I don't know how it happened. Who knows? Maybe he caught one of Jesus' sermons. Maybe one of Jesus' followers was just in his office one day. I have no idea how it happened, but Cornelius became convinced in his mind that there weren't many gods. There was one God, and this God was serious, and Cornelius wanted to know him. And and he actually, without even having a relationship with him, Cornelius had begun to become concerned about how he could please God. The second thing that we see about Cornelius was that he feared God. It's sort of, see this like parentheses. The first parentheses or parenthesis would be Cornelius wanting to please God. Fearing God would be not wanting to do the wrong thing and get on the wrong side of God. That's very good because the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And and when I say fear of God, it's not like, oh, I'm afraid God's going to hit me with a hammer. It's just like when you were growing up, you knew that if you did wrong, that there would be consequences and you were concerned about doing wrong. And that was Cornelius. He, he was God-focused, and he was concerned about doing the wrong thing. Third thing that we see about Cornelius, I absolutely am in love with. He was a leader in his family. How, I don't, ladies, don't raise your hand. But how many ladies are here? Please don't raise your hand, especially if your husband's with you. How many ladies are here today you would say, Mark, I would give about anything if my husband would be the leader of our family. If he would just man up. And let our, let our kids know what he stands for. If he would just be consistent. I mean, because one day he's this way and the next day he's this way. And I never know what to expect. I don't know what he believes. I don't know what he's about. I don't know what he's for. I don't know what he's against. He's just sort of like making it up as he goes. I love this about Cornelius was that he was a, he was a man who led the rest of his household. His kids knew where he stood. And by the way, an old statement that's really good. An old statement says, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And Cornelius stood for something. He stood for values. He stood for ethics. He stood for God. Didn't have a relationship with him yet, but he stood for something. And his, his kids said, yeah, man, dad, dad's real. Dad's real. He's the real deal. Well, let me tell you something. Dads, if someday your kids and grandkids walk past your casket and they say, dad, grandpa was the real deal, that's bigger than any other achievement you can make in life. That's bigger than being the biggest man where you work. It's bigger than having the most money, the biggest boat. If the people who love you could walk by and say, you know what, she was the real deal, he was the real deal. And I love that about Cornelius. He was such a leader in his family. His wife and his kids said, you know what, he's the real deal. The people who work for him said, he's the real deal. I love this. This guy doesn't even have a relationship with God, and yet what do we see about him? He's a surprise. He's concerned about pleasing God. He wants to make sure he doesn't displease God. He's a leader in his family. And then the next thing we know is like Cornelius was putting his money where his mouth was. I mean, he was looking around at people that, that needed help, and he opened up his wallet and opened up his checkbook. And here is a guy, I don't even understand this, he is assigned to a place he doesn't understand. Most Romans looked down upon the Jews and thought they were whacks, wackos, and they thought they were crazy. They wanted to get back to Rome. But here was a guy that looked at people who were different from him and who were going through hard times, and Cornelius wanted to help them. And then to add to that, the man prayed all the time, always talking to God. And yet here's the thing. Had he died at the moment we opened the chapter, he wouldn't have gone to heaven. 
shocking? See, it's because our way of thinking is not God's way of thinking. The Bible says our thoughts are not God's thoughts, and God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Our ways are not God's ways, and God's ways are not our ways. And the Bible goes, to, goes on to say that as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher God's thinking is than our thinking. And we're thinking, well, if you make an effort, you're probably going to be okay. If you, like, do this prayer stuff or go to church or give money, to, surely I'm going to be okay. Okay, I've opened this can of worms. Let's go a step further. Why was he not okay? Why? Fair question? Because it could come down to you and me. My guess is there are a lot of us like Cornelius. That was our life. We're not, you know, you know we're not like a George Thorogood song. Some of us could be. You know, we're not bad to the bone. We're really pretty nice people. And we think, well, well surely I should be okay because I never have held up a liquor store. I've never shot anybody never been part of a cult that flew planes into buildings or anything, I'm probably okay. Why am I not okay? Let me give you two verses out of the book of Romans, chapter 3, that explain why even nice people are not okay by themselves. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, here's what the Bible says, no one is righteous, not even one. Wait a minute. Did, did we just read what I thought we read? No one is righteous. What would it take to be good enough to go to heaven? Well, in order to be good enough to go to heaven, you would have to be what God considers righteous, not what I consider righteous. Because here's the deal. If it came down to what I consider righteous, you'd all go. As much as I know about you, if, if it was up to me and it came down to being righteous in my sight, I'd say, okay, all three services at New Spring, because if you come to New Spring, you must be a pretty good person. <laughs> but here's my issue. See, here's the deal with me. My problem is I would be measuring you against me. I would be measuring you against the people that I've known in my existence, but God doesn't do that. God measures us according to a perfect standard, and it's perfection. Well, that raises an interesting question because it would be how close are we to perfection? When I was in college especially, and there was like a tough exam, I was always hoping that the professor would grade on the curve. Does that term resonate with any of you? They still use that term? I don't even know if they do in education. Grade on the curve. Because like, you know, the professor would give the exam and it was like, well, wait a minute, everybody in the class made an F. That's a bad exam. It's not a fair exam. Everybody flunked it. We're always hoping that the professor would grade on the curve. If that's a new term to you, here's what it meant. It would, it would mean the professor would take the highest grade and make that tantamount to 100 and then scale everything down accordingly. So if the highest grade was a 46, 46 would become 100. You know, if you made a 40 after that, really it's a pretty good grade. So I think that's what we're kind of hoping for, that, okay, wait a minute. If God requires perfection, we all know that the next statement is nobody's. Right, so God grades on the curve, so we'll let this Cornelius boy, man, we, he's probably going to be 100 now because of what he does. And I don't know where I am. I mean, for some of you, maybe you're, some of you here are like 75% of perfect. Maybe I'm 40% perfect. Others of you, you might be in the single digits. Would it matter? If anything short of perfection was not enough. 
Wouldn't that put us all in the same boat? Because look at what the Bible says. No one is righteous, not even one. The second verse I want to show you is, is, is 13 verses later. The Bible says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Did you know that was in the Bible? We all fall short. That means Mother Teresa and Osama bin Laden. You know, I would assume Mother Teresa's like right up there nudging the top. I mean, for that lady to give her life for the lepers of Calcutta and do so much good work on her own, I would think she's like, you know, just bumping up against that top thing. And, and Osama bin Laden, I'd figure he's down pretty close to the bottom. And you and I are probably in there somewhere in the middle. But here's the deal. The Bible says all, A-L-L, have sinned and come short of the perfect standard of God. Now we need to talk about sin. Because that's a term that we don't talk about much anymore in our culture today. Because, you know, think about this. High-profile figures, like some governor's found in an affair someplace, and now he's having to do a press conference because he got caught. When's the last time you heard someone just stand and look at the camera and say, I sinned? I sinned. We just don't use that term anymore. We use a different term. We don't say, I sinned. We say, I made a mistake. There's a lot of difference between being a sinner and a mistaker. Because sinners need something in particular, and mistakers need something in particular. Well, let me do something for you. And a friend of mine was a pastor did this the other day, and I was watching one of his messages, and I thought, wow, this is really good. And, and, and so I'm stealing it from him, but I just, I just want you to, to see something. He just pulled down the definition of sin and the definition of mistake. And so these are going to be on the IMAX screens. Could we just look at them together? I mean, here's the definition of a sin. A sin is a transgression of divine law, which suggests that there is a God out there, and he has a law, and we come up short. And then the second line, the second definition is any act regarded as such a transgression, especially, look at this next word, a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. This is the reason why we don't like to use the word sin, is because sin says, I meant to do wrong. I wanted to do it, I did it on purpose. Now, just to calibrate this thing and make sure we get the difference, let's look at the word mistake. Mistake means an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. I I just thought wrong. Or carelessness. Uh Uh-oh, I just made, you know, just, I didn't, I just wasn't watching what I was doing. Insufficient knowledge. Nobody told me. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's the thing. Mistakers need to do better. Sinners need a Savior. Could I say that one more time? If you're just a mistaker, there is not a thing in the world God can do for you. Because Jesus didn't die for mistakers. He died for sinners. There's a little phrase in the Bible that gives me great confidence. It's a phrase that says, Christ died for the ungodly. Because see, if he just died for the godly, I'm not sure I'd qualify. But I know my heart. And I know the things I've done. I know the things I would have done if I could have done it without getting caught. 
I know the things I wanted to do when I was angry. I know what's inside of me. And when I read in the Bible that Jesus died for sinners, I'm saying, here I am. I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. I did it on purpose. I did it because I wanted to do it. Well, here's Cornelius. He's a nice guy. He's got a lot of things going right for him. But the problem is he's still a sinner. He's still coming up short. So God goes to Peter. And God says, Peter, I want you to go see this guy. He's Gentile. He's Caucasian. He's not like you. He's not Jewish. But I want you to go see this guy. And Peter's saying, well, it's not really my gig. And God is saying, I didn't really ask you if that was your gig. I just want you to do what I told you to do. I want you to go talk to this guy. (laughs) And Cornelius has done something that I love. You know, he's such a great guy. You know what's cool about this? The first thing we see about Cornelius is that being nice is not enough. But the second thing that we see is that, you know, when a person is really trying to move toward God, God sees that, and God has a way of, like, drawing that person. I get emails from you guys all the time, New Springers, and here's what I hear all the time. You're saying, like, Mark, man, I just was, like, trying to find God, and, I, and all of a sudden a friend invited me to New Spring, and the next thing I know, wow, it's just wonderful. Well, that's God working in your life. God knew it was in your heart to get close to him. And he manipulates circumstances to get you to a place where you could dial it in and get the message. So that's what happened with Cornelius. Peter goes to his house, and and Peter begins to talk. And now, here's the thing, and I'm going to close with this this morning. If Cornelius is a nice guy, but nice isn't good enough, and God is going to, like, get Peter out of his comfort zone to get Peter down to Caesarea to talk to Cornelius, don't you think it would be worthwhile for us just to take a few moments to see what it was that God had Peter say to Cornelius to help this nice guy dial it in and be right? You ready? Let's do it. Acts 10, verse 36. This is the message of good news. So here's the thing. The answer is part of good news, believing good news. That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. I like that. There is peace with God. In other words, sin has caused a break between us and God, but Peter said, I've got wonderful news with you, for you, Cornelius. There's a way for you to have peace with God with all the problems and the sin being taken out of the way. You know, verse 37, what happened through Judea beginning in Galilee after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying, are you ready for this? Because here's the line right here, that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. That, ladies and gentlemen, is dialing it in. Peter said, Mr. Cornelius, I came all the way here to tell you that God sees all those nice things that you're doing, and he appreciates what you're trying to do. But the problem is you have a sin issue, 
And I'm here to tell you the good news. That Jesus has taken your sins on him. All those things that you did. He paid the price on the cross. And if you will put confidence in him. In his death and resurrection. God will wipe the slate clean. And forgive you of all your sins. And make you God's child. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're saying. Now wait a minute Mark. I'm like trying to like add this up. And here's all this stuff that Cornelius is doing. And it looks so big. And, and, and you're telling me that's not enough. And on the other hand, you're reading me a Bible verse that says, I need to believe in Jesus. And that I get this gift of eternal life. That seems so tiny. I don't understand. If I were putting it in a scale and putting it in a balance, it would be like all this stuff that Cornelius was doing. Wow, it would like weigh heavy. It's like surely God would be okay with that. And on the other hand, you're telling me just to believe that Jesus died for me and rose from it. That seems so small. You're right. Think with me for a moment. See, the part we do is small. What you're missing is the part that Jesus did. It was so huge. For God to love you so much that he would put a son, his son, his only son, on the cross to die for your sins. And then for us to turn around and tell God, that's not enough, i got to do something. We're like telling God to his face, Sorry, God, it wasn't enough what you did, and the gift you gave was inadequate. If you want to have an eternal relationship with God, it comes down to this. It comes down to receiving God's gift. It it has to be Jesus plus nothing. I talk to people sometimes and they say, well, Mark, I know that God offers me the free gift of eternal life. And, and, and I'm going to believe on Jesus. And, and I think I've got to still do good things because it's like I believe in Jesus and I get God's grace, but then I've got to live it and I've got to like do right things. Arrgh, you just messed it up because it can't be Jesus plus anything. You know, if a gift has strings attached, it's not a gift anymore. I said, well, wait a minute, Mark. I, I kind of grew up in this church, and they said that, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I have to be a member of the church in order to go to heaven. I just added the church to Jesus and screwed it up. As wonderful as baptism is, and we're going to celebrate baptism in a huge way, there are those who say, well, you have to believe in Jesus, plus you have to be baptized. You just messed it up. Peter said, Cornelius, I'm bringing you the news that you need to know. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. He's the one all the prophets wrote about and said that everyone who believes in him would have their sins forgiven and have everlasting life. Was there a moment when you knew you were a sinner and you dialed it in, you knew that Jesus died for you and you received God's gift? I could be talking to you and you say, well, Mark, I'm just really not sure where I am. Well, wouldn't today be a wonderful day to just settle this? Because isn't that what God said? He said, come now, let's, let's get this thing settled. Don't wait another minute. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be white as wool. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and everyone pray. But especially if you're here this morning and you're just saying, well, I'm ready, ready to take that step, Mark. And if you are, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'm going to pray it slowly. And these aren't magic words. They're just words that call out to God, and they show faith. And so I'm going to pray these words slowly so that you can think about them. Because the important thing is that you mean them on the inside. 
You can use your own words if you want to. God's just looking for a yes. But if you're ready to make this decision, if you're ready to have it saddled, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I agree with you that I've sinned. I know I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me and make me God's child. I believe you died to pay for my sins. I believe you arose from the grave. I commit my life to you. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, I know that happened quickly. And because it's so quick, I've prepared a gift. If you just prayed to receive Jesus, I have a gift I want to give you. It will not cost you anything. It's just like salvation and strings attached. It's got a D, some DVDs in there and just some information that you need to know on how to take your next steps. Just, it'll, it'll kind of like amplify some of the things I've said this morning. If you just pray with me to receive Jesus, hey, let's do both of us a favor. When you came in today, you got a worship folder. Part of it's detachable. If you look at the part that's detachable, you can see a little facsimile of the, of the little packet that I just showed you. Just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Jesus. And if you'll put your name and address on there, you can drop it in the offering bags when they come by in a moment, or you can drop them in the boxes by the back doors, and I'll mail it to you this week. If you don't want to wait, you don't have to wait. If you want it to take home with you, if you just prayed to receive Jesus and you really want to follow him and you're just like, I don't want to wait for the mail, you don't have to. I'm pointing right through the middle doors or two zones called guest services and new spring store. Just right past those middle doors. Just bring the car back. They won't ask you any hard questions. They won't stalk you or do anything. Just give them this and say, I pray with Mark. And they'll give you this. You can take it home with you today and start your walk with Jesus. One more thing, and I know I've got like 30 seconds, okay? I'm going to fly this by real fast. Baptism is taking the public step of your faith. It is showing that you have made this decision. Because if you prayed to receive Jesus, you could have done it silently with nobody around. Baptism says, I want everybody to know I'm following Jesus. When a person is baptized, they're placed under the water to show the burial of Jesus, the death and burial. They're brought out to show the resurrection. So when you're baptized without saying a word, you're telling everybody, I follow Jesus. I've been in foreign countries where I didn't understand a bit of the language. But when I saw baptism, I knew who the person followed because there was only one person who died, was buried, and rose from the grave, and that's Jesus. So what you're saying is to everybody, I want you to know, my life is connected with Jesus. I have prayed to receive the gift. I'm not being baptized to be saved. I'm being baptized because I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I got to tell you this, and I know that like we have 260 people already signed up for it. Tomorrow is the last day that you can sign up for Watermark. So I want to encourage you, if, if you want to take that step, please do that in the next 24 hours. You can do it online. We also have a table. I'm going to point back over here to my left outside in the vestibule. There's a table back there. You can stop and sign up for Watermark if you want to be part of this incredible service at the Hartman Arena. Ushers, if you will, please come forward. Receive the morning offering. And by the way, if you're our guest, please don't feel any pressure to participate. The offerings for New Springers. We love what God is doing here. New Springers, please remember missions. God is doing great things around the world.